0: Hey, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. Can we let them know how much we love them, appreciate them? Amen. All you fathers out there, father figures, everybody watching online, all you dads out there, happy, happy Father's Day. So thankful for the impact that you guys are making here at MCC. One of the things that drew me to MCC when I was trying to figure out where God was leading me to become the lead pastor. Which, oh by the way, um, today is my two-year anniversary as your pastor. We made it, right? If we can make it through COVID together. We can make it through anything. Like we can, we can do all things if we make it through 2020. Like, woohoo! That was a great first year to be a lead pastor. I tell you what, I uh, can't wait to go on vacation. Um, but seriously, one of the things that drew me here was the men of God, was the father figures, was the fact that um, uh, unlike a lot of churches around the world, around the country, uh, where we're like, you know, women may be the guy, or guys who may be the ones who are in charge and women are really the ones who are in charge and they're doing all the other things and making all the things happen. Uh, this is a church where I saw men rolling up their sleeves, serving in children's ministry, serving in student ministry, serving in, 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 everywhere. And I love that about our church and I can't wait to continue to see how we have that impact through men rolling up their sleeves and doing those things. So, I'm going to pray over the fathers and the future fathers in the room, the men of God who are here today with us and watching online, and then we're going to dive in. All right? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross so that we could call your father our father. I pray for those in the room who I know this day isn't fun for. For a lot of years, that was me. It's not easy facebook instagram will not be easy today it'll bring up bad memories it will bring up regrets it will bring up maybe even for those of us who had great fathers somebody who's not here but i pray that regardless of what we think about an earthly father that you would be whispering in our ears that we would feel your embrace as a loving heavenly father today that we would make you proud that we would make much of you god that we even now would hear you saying, I'm proud of you, you're here, you're listening, you're, 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 you have come to the place where you can be with me. And Jesus, that's why we're here. We're not here to make some family member happy. We're not here, like, regardless of whatever reason we thought we came here today, Jesus, we are here because you made a way for us to connect with the Father and you're gonna make that happen today. I believe that by the power of your word and we cannot wait to see what that looks like. In your name, amen, 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 amen. Hey, if you got a Bible, Go to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to hang out. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, I want to tell you about my life as a turkey. I'm not talking about my life in particular. I'm obviously not a turkey. Um, but my life as a turkey. So there's this documentary that has been filmed and it's called My Life as a Turkey. And any dads in the room, you're outdoorsman, any dads in the room, go, like to go hunting, like do that kind of thing? Okay, great. If you're a turkey hunter, definitely want to watch this video. Great intel. Um, great thing to watch. So it's called My Life as a Turkey. And there's this guy. His name is Joe Hutto. Or, uh, yeah, I think that's his name. Joe Hutto, that's his last name. And he's this guy who's committed his life to essentially pretending to be a turkey. I love it. It's, it's awesome. This is the guy. He, he's a pretty awesome looking dude. This is him. This is Joe, and Joe. Uh, let's 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 do this online. You guys can really have some fun with this. If you think Joe, again, he's from the southeast. I'll go. That was a, that was a given, right? Like th- dudes like this don't grow up in New York. Um, <laughs> you don't you don't live with turkeys if you're from New England. That's just it doesn't happen. If you're 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 originally from New England, you know that. But Joe is from the southeast. I want to I let you guess. Okay, A, B, or C. He's either from Alabama, Georgia, or Florida. All right. How many think he's from Alabama? Come on, guys. Alabama, okay. Georgia, he's a native. He's one of us, okay. Or Florida. All right, yeah. This is the most Florida man thing ever. Like, he's totally from Florida. So this guy, Joe, who is from Florida. Tampa, yeah, that was a giveaway. You guys are smart. Context clues. Some of you raised your hand at Georgia and Alabama, though, okay? So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, like, some of you doesn't catch it, okay? So here, here, here's what's fascinating. This guy, this is kind of how all this started. This guy was given some turkey eggs, and and he went on to incubate these turkey eggs, and he is participating in what is this biological phenomenon called imprinting. And what imprinting is, essentially, when this baby turkey hatches, he's right there just face to beak with this baby turkey hatchling when it comes out of the shell, and he, as he's there with the turkey, he's just eye to eye. And this is what this whole imprinting thing is. I thought it was something that was just on Twilight, but it's real life thing. He's there, turkey comes out, and he makes some like mama turkey noises or something. Like, gobble, gobble, I don't know exactly. I'm just making things up at this point. Um, make some turkey noises. And because his face and his sounds and his smell is the first thing that this turkey hatchling hears and experiences that turkey then begins to perceive him as its provider, its protector, its its source of security. Essentially, it's mom, its parent. Now, you're like, where are you going with this? Let me explain. This is a biological phenomenon called imprinting. But it's not just a biological phenomenon. This is actually a theological phenomenon. If you go back to the very beginning Our origin story started off very similar. Not with a Florida man, but with God. And not with turkeys, but with a guy named Adam. And our God, it says that he took a few days and he created everything, everything that was there. He created all that and he kind of looked back and he's like, yeah, this this is some good stuff. But the one thing missing from all the things that he created was something that was created in his image that bared his eternal soul that was like him and nothing else would do. There was nothing else that he created. The stars, the rivers, the trees, the mountains, all of those things, all those things that he created could not give him the glory that he deserved. And so he decided to create something that could give him glory. He decided to create man. And so this God who put all of those things into existence, who put the galaxies into the galaxies, went specifically to this one galaxy that we happen to be a part of and went to the third planet away from the sun that was kind of the center of that galaxy and then went down to the dirt and kind of knelt down scooped up some of that dirt, holds it, and gets face to face and breathes his breath of life. Now, it's fascinating. This is what God chose to do. God didn't go like bewitched and like twiggle his nose. God didn't person. Like he didn't do any of those things. When God chose to make the thing that would bring him glory, that would be in his image. He created he gets face to face. And again, if you're gonna breathe into something, you've got to be next to something, face to face with something. And that God breathes in. And in the power that's in the breath of God, Adam wakes up. And the first thing that Adam sees when his eyes open is a face of the Father looking there at him. And because that's the first thing that Adam sees, breathed into him was the life of God. And now through Adam, he's looking back at the face of God. And in that, he's going, this is my provider. This is my protector. This is the one who I was created to be in a relationship with. And there's imprinting. And that imprinting is hardwired into your soul and my soul. The problem is, Sin. The problem is that there is this thing that comes in between us now being able to see God's face because you maybe never thought about it this way. The first thing that God does with creation, the first thing that God does with humans is there's a face-to-face interaction. What that means, uh, more so than you reading your Bible, tithing, going to church, being good to people, saying nice words, all those things. More than any of those things, the primary, again, you can tell this by the first thing that happened when the creation happened, is face-to-face interaction with Father God. That's powerful. That's what we were created to see. We are created to see and crave and want to be in the face of the Father. And every craving that you feel like you have that you satisfied in a hundred different ways was all hidden and temporarily pacified Because you couldn't see the father's face. Because that's what happened in the garden. That God went from there creating Adam to creating Eve, his helpmate. And they're in the garden. They're doing their thing. They're hanging out. They have their thing going on. But they disobey God. And then sin enters the world. And as sin enters the world, what leaves their world? The very face of God. Their separation because of sin. And that sin caused separation so that we were no longer able to see the heart of God. And from that moment until all of the moments that preceded it, creation, humans, us, mankind, has been longing to see the face of the Father. We see it in the life of Moses. If you've got a Bible, you can look at Exodus chapter 33 verse 20. Moses um, goes up to Mount Mount Sinai and he's there and he gets the commandments from God. He gets the rules and regulations for how he's going to lead God's people and how God's going to lead these people and how God's going to be their God. And he's going to do some new things through them. And he's up there. He's talking to God. It's a powerful moment. Like everybody else, like we don't want to go to the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain. Don't look at the mountain. Moses, you go up to the mountain because that is some holy presence of God stuff. We just want you to go do it because we would all just be disintegrated if that happened to us. Moses goes up there, talks to God, gets the message from God. And God's about to just go, okay, now like go down there and let them live it out and Moses goes hold on which is bold hold on I want to see your face I want to see your face which man I, I pray there's some men of God women of God who would go I want to see the face of God like that's something that beats inside of our heart I want to see the face of God he asked that and God's almost like what are you talking about with like you can't God you don't know what you're asking for I love what he says Exodus thirty-three twenty. 20 and that he here is God. But he said, God said, you cannot see my face. For no one can see my face and live. He essentially says to Moses, you seeing me is your death wish. Because you're, ho- you're not holy. I'm too holy. I would, it'd mess you up. it ends you. And so this presents a problem for us. When we go to a verse like, what we're getting ready to unpack here in this beatitude that says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So how do we juxtapose those two different things? That Hey, blessed are those who are pure in heart for they will see God. And then we have you know God saying here, no one can see me and live. What are we talking about? Let's get into our verse. If you got a Bible, we'll go to Matthew 5. We're gonna try to answer that big question here. Matthew 5. Hopefully you're already there. If not, I warned you. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read um, 1 through 8. 8 is going to be our our verse that we're going to dive into today as we've been in this series talking about new normal. Jesus flipping the world on his head, an upside down kingdom, new way to live life. Here's what he says. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And the disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteous, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's our verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. Today we're going to talk about that. But at first glance... Let's be honest. When you hear blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a lot of these beatitudes that we read and we go, "Mm -hmm, okay, like I can maybe ascribe to that. That's something I can actually see happening or I can maybe recall a time when that has happened in my life. So like beatitude one, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Okay, well, I felt one of those moments before my life. Most of all of us would agree, we've had a time where we like, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I can't, I can't. I need you. We've had those moments. The second one, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And again, he's not talking about you know, going to funeral mourning, but he's talking about this spiritual mourning over our sin and what our sin has cost us, what our sin has stolen from us. We've been there too. And God, man, I see what sin has stolen from me. I see what my sin has done and I, and I weep over what my sin cost Jesus. We've done that. We felt that. And he says, blessed are those who are meek they'll inherit the earth we've had those moments where we felt powerless we felt like we couldn't do it we felt like we didn't have what it takes we felt meek and we know we can be meek he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for the right thing to be done and and we've had those moments where either somebody did something wrong against us or or we wanted to see god's will formed out in our life and we said okay i i want what is right to be done in my life and in this world i want righteousness to happen and then even last week, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We've had moments in our life where we've forgiven people, where we've shown mercy, where we've withheld we've punishment, maybe that somebody else deserved, and given them out of compassion something that they did not deserve. But here he says, blessed are the pure in heart. <laughs> I don't know of any moment in my life where I've just pinched myself and went, I'm so pure hearted today. That was, oh, look at this pure heart, just walking down the road, just pastoring from a pure heart. No, over and over again, I'm reminded that, man, maybe there's some people who are out there who think I live a pure life and I'm doing all these things, but man, I see the wickedness and the deceitfulness in my heart. And it actually seems like the closer I get to Jesus' heart, the more and more I realize how messed up mine is. I used to think I was good. I used to think, okay, I got this Christian thing under control. And the more and more I see Jesus, the more and more I mirror his life against my life through his word, I go, man, actually, we're off. And so you come to a passage like this, there's says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I almost go, there's no hope. Because my heart's not pure. And so let me talk about what pure in heart doesn't mean before we figure out what it actually does. What it doesn't mean is you never have a bad thought. Being pure in heart does not mean that you just never think a bad thought, you never sin, you never mess up, you never make a mistake. And again, I gotta say this here at the onset, when we're talking about these beatitudes, these are not what you do in order to be saved. When Jesus unpacks these beatitudes, they're in ascending order. That You start here, you go through this. He's saying these are the necessary elements of a Christian life. You'll know somebody's a Christian when you see these things in their life. So he says, you'll know somebody's a Christian because they have a pure heart. You'll know you are when you have a pure heart and you'll start to see God everywhere you look. So it's not when we don't make a mistake. It's not when we never think a bad thought. I want to talk primarily about two things that a pure heart is. First and foremost, a pure heart is an undivided heart. And two, it's a cleansed heart. Firstly, a pure heart is undivided. And that's literally what that word there means. When we hear purity, we think of like, most of the time our minds go back to you know, middle school and high school, we think, oh, I gotta stay pure, I gotta stay pure, get a purity ring. We, we think about sexual purity, we think about you know, those types of things when we think purity. What God is after here is his, I want your heart to be undivided. And we know this, you can't give your heart in pieces. You either give all of your heart to something or you don't give it all to something. You can't break it up and say, I'm gonna give a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little, little bit here. That's not how our hearts work. It's not a pie chart so he says a pure heart is one that's not divided and the image I would give you here is thinking about if you took just a, a, a perfectly pure glass of water then that water is merely the three elements of hydrogen and oxygen wait three elements or are there two elements sorry not a biology major not like Joe with him turkeys So he's there. Those are the two things. That's what makes up that water. Now, if I go and get belly button lint and I sprinkle belly button lint in that water, all right, it is no longer holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy water. It is no longer water. It is water with a little bit of belly button lint. Now, do you want to drink that? No one wants to drink belly button lint water. That sounds disgusting. And that's what he's after here. It's saying, I want a heart that is undefiled. I want a heart that is fully one thing, without any contaminants, undivided. There's a verse actually in the King James Version that I think gives us an idea that helps better explain this. It's Matthew 6 22. It's going to be on the screen. Um, you probably don't have a King James Bible here with you because we never go through that. We're, we're not a King James only uh, kind of church, but this, I think they actually get this right and it helps us understand it in a, in a unique way. Matthew six twenty two. it's gonna be in the King James. It's gonna be on the screen. Check it out. Jesus is talking here. And again, he's in this same Sermon on the Mount. We'll eventually get to this passage and unpack it even more. Matthew six twenty two. he says this. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, one, It's not a bunch of different things. If your eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, what he's not talking about there is the only way you're going to be full of light and be living out the right lifestyle is if you're Cyclops. Like, that's not what he's saying, have a single eye. He's saying, if you have a singular focus... You're not focused on what do they think about me, what do they think about me, what do they think about me, what do they think? You're thinking, what does God think about me and who I am because of who he is? My singular focus is living out the will of Christ. That is a pure heart, a heart that says my heart's singular focus, singular desire is to make much of God and make less of me. That's a pure heart. It's undivided. Now heart, that's pure. Let's talk about heart. Heart, the Greek word there is cardia. It's where we get our word. We talk about hospitals and everything else. Cardiac. Cardia. Now, the heart in scripture is not talking about this muscular vessel that's pumping stuff throughout your body. That's not what we're talking about in heart. Heart, we've said this before as we explained what is our heart in in regards to scripture. Heart is like your internal operating system. It's the desires that determine your decisions. Same way you need to upgrade your OS on your Apple device or whatever phone you have. Your heart... And when you see that in scripture, that's what it's talking about. It's that part of you that determines what you do, your internal desire, your value system. Why you choose what you choose. That is what he's talking about when he said your heart. He says you have to have a pure heart, an undivided heart, a heart that no longer focuses on everything else. James 4.8, it gives us a really clear picture of how we get to a place where we then can take, okay, if I'm supposed to have a pure heart, one that's undivided, one that's not made of a bunch of different things, that is just one singular focus, how in the world does that happen? Jesus' brother James in James 4, 8, I think gives us a good idea of what we're talking about here. He says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify you hearts, you double-minded. See, see James is on to something. He's experiencing, he's he's elaborating on what we've experienced, where we can feel double-minded. I think one of the big reasons we are so stressed out, more anxiety-ridden than any baby society ever is because we are the most double-minded. It's harder to be double-minded than single-minded. It's not knowledge is power. It's too much, and we can't handle it. And we've been there. Some of you, you maybe just now started out following Jesus or, or you experienced this. You started following Jesus a little while and you gave up on it because you felt like, man, this is harder work. It was easier when I could just sin. And I just sin. And I was like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. But now I sin and I go, oh, there's something actually pulling me back this way. I'm continuing to try to go this way, but there's something pulling me that way. I'm two-faced. We've been there. And we felt those things. When we did what we didn't want to do and the thing that we wanted to do we didn't do. We've had a mind that said, I want to do what God's will is. And we left out of church, fired up. We left out of VBS, fired up. We left out of that conference or left out of that Bible study, fired up. And it burned out. I think there's some great encouragement in the book of Philippians of how to purify our hearts. Paul was writing this. I'm going to lean into this heavy because I think there's so much practical truth of how to make this happen if you got a Bible look at Philippians chapter 3 Philippians chapter 3 jump down to verse 13 this is Paul writing and I'm going to tell you why this is really important to realize who's writing here he's talking to the church there in Philippi trying to get them to understand this life and how to live out this Christian life he says brothers and sisters I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, you should be going, what it are we talking about? What are we talking about when he says, I haven't taken hold of it? It, right there in that verse, is perfection. That's Paul's way of saying, when he's talking about it, if you put that in the context, he's saying, I have not attained the perfection that comes from being in a relationship with Christ. Again, I don't know what you thought being in a relationship with Christ would lead to, but that's what it ultimately leads to, perfection. Not here, though. Paul's gonna explain that. He said, I have not attained it. And again, this is a guy who is more religious than anybody else. This is a guy who planted more churches. This is a guy who wrote more books of the Bible than anybody else. And he's going, I ain't got it. Now, he tells us some of how to get it, this pure heart, this perfection. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind all right, so there's step, there's step one in that. You want a pure heart. Step one, forget what is behind. Now, you may be sitting in your chair or in your seat, wherever you're at, going, you don't know what's behind, Trent, sir. And I don't. But what I do know is I know what was behind Paul. And I would be willing to put his resume against yours as far as who has the worst behind because Paul has murdering Christians in his. Like murdering people. Like I don't, get, I don't know what you've got in your past. I know you have some, I, we all have baggage. We have things in our past. But listen to who's writing this. He says, I forgot what's behind. And my behind was an easy one to forget. My, my, my behind was me murdering Christians. Me signing off. Yeah, I'll hold your coach. Yeah, throw that rock. Me going specifically to some other leaders and say, hey, I want to go put more Christians down. And then Jesus knocked him on his behind off of his donkey and said, I'm going to put all this behind you. And what I'm putting in front of you, is going to blow your mind. So Paul says, step one, forget what's behind. Now I know some of you, that's hard. It's hard to forget what's behind because you've got a lot of stuff back there. You got a lot of pain. You got a lot of brokenness. You got a lot of sins that have been done to you and sins that you've done yourself. But Paul says, if you want a pure heart, You have to focus less on all the things that have tainted it. You have to focus less on all the things that you feel like have stained it. Forget what is behind. And then he tells us where to turn. He says, forget what is behind. And look at his words. Strain towards what is ahead. Strain towards. He doesn't say, gee golly gee, walk on the road to life to what is ahead. He, again, he uses manly terminology. You're gonna have to strain towards what is ahead. It is not gonna be easy heaven forbid we ever get in this Christian life and we think it's going to be a peaceful, easy cakewalk. He says, you're going to have to strain for what is ahead because what is ahead is beautiful, it's glorious, it's good, and nothing good, nothing worth ever attaining ever came easily. You're going to have to strain for this. Strain. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Now we can hear that, and I think when we hear strain, we can think, okay, well, I gotta have seventeen consistent days in God's word before I can ever take a break. I gotta pray, I gotta start volunteering, I gotta start tithing, I gotta start doing all those things. Pause. The place, the only place where you will gain the strength to strain is in prayer. You will not gain the strength to strain strain through sermons. You won't gain the strength to strain through volunteering and and reading books and all these other things. You will gain the primary source for where you will gain the strength to strain towards the goal which he has called you heavenward is in prayer. Which is why I want to offer you a prayer from scripture that I would encourage you to begin praying, to purify that heart. David, King David, wrote this. Psalm 86, verse 11. He says this, Psalm 86, 11. This is the prayer of the undivided heart. Prayer for an undivided heart. Teach me your way, Lord. I don't wanna know how everybody else is doing it. I don't wanna know what, what the new trendsetter is doing. I don't wanna know their way. Teach me your way, Lord, your way, not my way, your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Everybody's let me down. Everybody's turned their back on me. People, I've tried to put my hope and trust in this relationship and hey, abandoned me. I've tried to put my hope in this thing and it abandoned me. I want to rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided, there's our word, an undivided heart it has a singular focus that is yours, that I may fear your name. Now, I want to talk to the guys in the room for a second. Because I want you to know the man who wrote this. I want you to know his story. Sometimes we forget about David. Is that David was the runt of the litter. The prophet Samuel shows up to David's dad, Jesse's house, Because that's where God told him the next king of Israel would be. So a king that's going to be a male, you would think Jesse would go, hey, everybody, all boys, boys, I need you home for dinner at 5 o'clock when Samuel gets here. I need everybody in, dressed, hair parted on the side, wearing your best clothes, make sure you wash the back of your neck, shave your arm, not shave, you don't do that. Shave your face, do all the fun stuff. Everybody get here, prophet's going to be here. He's got to pick one of you guys out. And maybe he does that for every single one of his sons except David. Brings them all in. Samuel gets there. He goes one by one by one. After jacked, tan, perfect hair, perfect teeth, intelligent, sharp, cunning guys. Goes through one. No, nah, that ain't him. No, that ain't him. That ain't him. That ain't him. That ain't him. Gets to the very end. And Samuel kind of scratching his beard goes, ah, oh you ain't got any more kids like these guys like God's telling me this thing about like he looks at the uh inward thing the heart and he doesn't look at the things that man looks like what's going on here and Jesse kind of goes yeah I got another one he's out he's out in the field and Samuel I love what Samuel says I love the sense of urgency he has bring him in I'm not sitting down till he gets here you know what Samuel knows he knows that's the one Now, David had a father wound. You see it all throughout his life. You see it all throughout what he does. David had a dad who treated him like he didn't exist. Now, what is David called? David is called a man after God's own heart. Do you wanna know how huge of a hurdle that is to be? To be a man after God's own heart when the one man, Jesse, who you wanted to be after your heart, your father, was not after your heart. See, that's the only God thing. There's some men in this room who you're wondering, how in the world can I be a man after God's own heart when the man who should have been after my heart, this earthly father, wasn't after my heart? He abandoned me. He left me, but you know, he didn't show up for this. He, he's kind of been there, but not been there. There's a few lucky ones in this room who you've had a man of God who is your heavenly father, who, who gives you an earthly father. And you've experienced what it's like to have an earthly father who's also after your heart. Most of the men in this room you have not experienced that. But by the grace of God, you've been given through Jesus access to a heavenly father who is after your heart. And I know, listen, I know more than most this hard to be a man of God who is after the heart of God when you never had a man on earth be after your heart. I know that's hard. And I've experienced that. But when you get to the place where your singular focus is no one else, no human. Were you Look, look at what Jesus said. He says, I may rely on your faithfulness. Je, he tried to lie on Jesse's faithfulness. Jesse's faithfulness did not work. And I don't know what your father's name is. If his name is Jesse, so be it. But Jesse's faithfulness will not work for you. It will let you down. Jesus' faithfulness will not, will not. So I pray that you rely on his faithfulness. That you say I didn't have a man there to teach me how to change a tire. I didn't have a man there to teach me, you know, how, how to, you know, have the talk with my son or my daughter. I have a man there to, you know, to show me how to throw a curb. I didn't have a man there to do all these other types of things. And I know there's some single mamas in the room, and you're worried about that for your, your kid too. Keep bringing them here. Keep bringing her. Keep bringing her. We will do everything we can as a church, believe me, to do what we can to be the father figures, to be the influence, to be in your corner, to support you as much as we can, because we know you're wearing both hats, and that's not an easy thing to do. But we are in your corner. We're here for you. We are a church for the father because we serve a God who is for the fatherless. Amen. So David, he says, I didn't learn what I needed to learn from dad. Dad proved to not be faithful, but God, teach me your way. I want to rely on you. And then it gets back in his court and he says, give me an undivided heart. I don't want the approval of man. I don't want to be the, I, like David got it, but he didn't want it. He had women, you know, woo, David. They're singing songs about him, everything else. They've said, I don't want that. I want a heart that beats after you. If I had to put this, uh, this prayer, David, into our language, I'd use it in some terms that I've heard a lot as I've counseled people through the year that was 2020 and even in now. I've heard this term a lot. I'm all over the place. You said that? I just feel like I'm all over the place. I feel like my attention span is like a squirrel. I'm all over the place. We've been there, right? That's like, that's not because, let me be, can I say this, Holy Spirit? Okay. I feel like I have permission. Give me grace, because I'm off script. That weariness that you feel, the so tired that you can't even sleep that you feel. It's not anxiety. It's a divided heart. It's a double mind. You're working two minds. Like we don't create to work two minds. we create to work one mind. We're created to have one focus. You can't have a, You can't be all over the place and be in one place. So God says, the only way this thing is going to get pure, the only way it's going to get pure is if it's undivided. And the only way it's going to get undivided is if he does that for you. And you're going to have to cut out some stuff. He's going to help you do that. But it's undivided, firstly. And the next thing is it's cleansed. What is a pure heart? A pure heart is first and foremost a heart that is undivided, that's not made up of anything else. But secondly, an undivided heart is one that is cleansed. Here's what I mean by that. When we put our faith in Christ, are three amazing gifts that happen. I don't have time to go through, unpack all of them in their entirety. I've done that a little bit already in this series. So if you miss some of these big words, you want to know what in the world they mean, go back and you'll be able to find them. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, three primary things happen. I'm going to show you here so you can kind of have them, maybe you know where to go back. Three things happen when you put your faith and your trust in Christ. Justification happens, all right? Now, this term justification, this is a legal term. You are justified. That means that the sin that you were on the hook for, Jesus is now saying, I'm dropping the charges. The punishment that was due because of those sins, I'm dropping those charges, only to have them picked up by Jesus, put on his shoulders on the cross. He's gonna die for those sins. The, The perfection that he had, that he traded in when he put on your sins, now you're gonna have that if you're in Christ through faith. Justification. Next things you get. You're justified. Next thing you get is you are forgiven. You get forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not peace, okay? When the North and the South were in the Civil War, they didn't just stop fighting and become still the Union and still the Confederacy. They stopped fighting and they became one. There was this crazy thing called reconciliation happening. Now again, we're still struggling and working and doing everything we can to truly live out the reconciliation that was supposed to happen there. It's not all the way there yet. We continue to bump into that and have pain in that. But with us and God, because of our sin that separated us, now we've actually been to the place where we can be reconciled. Not just forgiven where God's going. <clears throat> yeah, I forgive you. Stay over there, but you're forgiven. Come on in. Come on in. Sit right down beside me. Some of you guys have kids. Like you met a guy in the room, like you're the king of your house, supposedly. Um, and you've had kids. Like you, you, some of you guys have little girls. Your daughter, who makes mistakes, when she's thirsty at night, she doesn't care how much of the king of the house you are. She doesn't care what mistake she made that day. She doesn't care that you put her in timeout three or four times. If she's thirsty in the middle of the night, she'll walk right up to the bed, tap you on the shoulder, and do that thing where they're just looking at you. <laughs> and they creepily wake you up in a little, like a horror movie, looking at you. <laughs> I want some water. That's some boldness, though, isn't it? To, to, like to, to approach the king? And that's what's happening. I think this is what Jesus is after here, is you've been given this thing. You've been given access. You've been forgiven. But it's not just, hey, we're gonna stop fighting. You're not an enemy anymore. It's saying you're not an enemy. Not even you're a friend. You're a son and a daughter by the blood of Christ. Okay, second gift. The next thing, cleansing. Cleansing. Where this is legal, and this is relational. This is personal. This is personal. And in the same way that, like, everybody drove their car here. It's been raining for like the last two and a half days. But some of you, it's rained so much, and your car was so dirty that it still looks dirty. Anybody drive one of those cars? Like, you're like, oh, it rained, but like you, your car's gonna drive. And you're like, it's even dirtier than it was before. They have not yet created with all the technology and all the inventions. We have not yet created a car that cleans itself. We have not created a car that just does not get dirty. Clothes, we can create clothes that you don't have to iron, but we have not created clothes that you don't have to wash. Cleansing is recurring. It happens. You have to continue to pursue cleansing. There's a verse I want to show you. 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9. All three of these, you're going to find them in there. 1 John 1.9, listen to this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive our sins and purify, cleansing, purify, cleansing, purify us from all righteousness. So he is faithful to do three things. He's faithful to justify, to forgive, and to cleanse. Now, most of us in this room, we don't really struggle. Like if you're in Christ, we don't struggle here. Forgiveness and justification, we go, I know by the blood of Christ, I am justified like all my sins are on Jesus. He took them on the cross, he did that. I know I'm forgiven by the blood of Christ, and that has happened. We struggle here. We still sin and we still mess up and we let our sin, and our shame and our guilt continue to keep us from reaping the benefits of being a forgiven kid who can go and tap on the king's shoulder when you want a glass of water, of being justified of having Jesus being treated like your sin so that you could be receiving the, the glory and the righteousness of God and, and being able to figure out what in the world that even means. but because. We give up on the fact that we could ever be cleaned. We give up on the fact that that sin we struggle with since middle school can ever go away. We give up on the fact that these body issues or these image struggles or this low self-esteem or this mental struggle that these things can go away. And again, sometimes we over um, apply this verse where Paul talks about, I have this thorn in my flesh and we just go, well, I've just got this thorn in my flesh and we overlook the power that Jesus has. He actually has the power to pull it out. Don't misapply that verse to just continue to keep a habitual sin. That is misapplication. That's a false gospel that you're just gonna have to struggle with this forever. Don't buy that lie. Jesus has the power to cleanse it. And I want you to be cleansed. Once want you to have that pure heart. And I want you to reap the promise that is in this verse. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. See God. Now, what's ironic about this is when the people on the hill that day in Galilee, when Jesus spoke these words the very first time, again, put it all in context, these were primarily people who were Jewish people. When they would have heard Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, they would have immediately thought of this passage that David wrote, Psalm 24. I'm not going to put it on the screen, not putting it there on purpose so that you can go there and see it in your own words, see it in your own Bible, see it in your own app and, and highlight this and continue to go back here. Psalm 24, verses 4 through 6. When they heard Jesus say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, they would immediately thought of this verse where David wasn't writing a good song, but where David was actually prophesying. When he said, Who, he answered the question, How can we see God? He said, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand on his holy place? Basically, he's asking, Who can see God? he answers the one with clean hands and there's our word a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods they will receive the blessing from the lord and vindication from the god their savior such is the generation who seeks him who seek your face god of jacob see david is asking the question that we're asking how do i see god when i was a kid I didn't go to, go to church growing up, and I didn't start going to church until I was a teenager. And one of the things I did not understand about church, like I got, we're learning stuff about Jesus and the Bible. One of the things that I just absolutely did not understand or get was music. Like, why, why do we have to sing about this? Like, you just stand there? And I didn't understand worship at the time. I didn't know that this was a collective thing where we're giving our hearts to Christ and that worship really was not just me doing a sing-along, but it was my prayer to God. Like, it was, I'm, I'm praying this to you. And the first time I ever got in trouble at a youth group was the first time I went to youth group, um... I was watching the show that was kind of big during that time. Uh, I'm a millennial. It was called Beavis and Butthead, and uh, my parents let me watch MTV again. Didn't grow up a Christian household. It was it was fun that way. Um, so I was watching the show, and there was this character. Uh, I think it was I don't know which one it was Beavis or Butthead. I can't remember. Anyway, um, he would put his shirt over his head, and he would go Holy, or something like that. I don't know. Maybe sound like that turkey at the beginning. So he would do that, and so we were singing this song that was like the refrain was like, holy, 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 holy. And I was like, ah, this sounds like what I heard on *Beast of Blood. And so I put my shirt over my head. I started doing holy, holy, holy. I, got, I had to go to the youth pastor's office and got in trouble. Um, and now I'm your pastor. <laughs> so, so don't give up on your teenagers, um, no matter how lost they may seem. Um, but we sang this other song. And I didn't realize it until this week that this is what this song is about, but uh, I think Chris Tomlin wrote it and it went something like this and it was written off of this verse. It it said, give us clean hands. Maybe some of you, if you've been around church a while, you may remember this song. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. And I didn't know, I thought it was like us being like this cool generation, like yeah, our generation. It was like, uh, God let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. So to answer that question, how do we see God? David asked it, but Jesus answers it. David said, who can ascend the hill of God? It's the one with clean hands and a pure heart. The one who doesn't lift his soul to an idol. And what we don't realize is those first few verses of that, where he says, who can ascend God's mountain? Who can ascend the holy hill to be able to see God? He says, the one with a pure heart, one with pure hands. That means we could never see God. But, and again, I love the prophecy in this. There came a man unlike any man ever before who ascended a mountain, a mountain called Calvary. A man who actually had clean hands, pure heart, tempted, lived every way that we had, saw what we saw, felt what we felt, remained sinless, never lifted his soul to an idol, never lifted his hand to a false God because he was God in flesh here on earth. Went to that hill, that holy hill that all the world thought was an unholy hill, was a hell hill, but went to that hill that was Calvary, gave his life for me and you so that we can see God. And friend, I don't know where you're at in this room but here's what, let's make it very, very simple. Low-hanging fruit here. I don't know where you came in with religion. I don't know where you came in with Christianity. I don't know where you came in with faith. Very simple question, though. Do you want to see God? Do you wanna see him? The only way you will see him is through a pure heart. And the only way you will get a pure heart is through the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus to let him cleanse your heart by the power of his blood. His blood washes our heart, makes him white as snow. There is no more powerful cleansing agent. There is nothing that is in your past that could ever overcome what his blood can do to wash away your sins. And if you're not here, you're not there, I want to invite you. There, there's a the next step card on the chair in front of you that, that, that's saying, I want to take my next step to be cleansed. And the process, that part, the next, what that cleansing looks like is you putting your faith in Christ, that faith being manifest through baptism. That's why we do baptism, so that we go under the water and we're raised up, cleansed. That that water represents our old life dying away and being washed up so that we are raised up, not just with a pure outside, but with a pure inside now by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And if that's the decision you wanna make today, now those cards are there. I'll be down here up front. You can make that decision. I'm inviting you in to receive that pure heart. Last thing I'll say is this. For those of you who have already received that pure heart, who have put your faith, put your trust, put your hope in Christ, who are you becoming in the meantime? Are you becoming more like the Jesus who is in you? Are you becoming more like the rest of the world around you? There's a verse that I love 2 Corinthians three eighteen. End with this. He says, "And we, and this is a we thing. This is a us thing. And we, all who with unveiled faces, again, all the mask is off. All the mask is off. I'm not trying to pretend anymore. Not a poser anymore. The mask is off. I don't have any better defense mechanism. The mask is off. Unveiled faces, beholding the Lord's glory, are being transformed." Into his image with ever increasing glory that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Simply put, if you're in Christ, I want you to know this. This verse talks about it. It says, We with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God. Simply put, you will become what you behold. You, again, you watch these things, you intake this stuff, you will become what you behold. What you set your eyes on, what you put your focus on, you will become that. That's why our focus is so critical. And so I asked a question like, okay, what are you beholding that's not Jesus? And are you okay with what that's making you become? That's a hard question I had to ask myself this week. I'm not okay with being that. And it's little things, guys. Like it's what we watch, it's what we listen to. It's beholding. It's holding your attention. What is beholding your attention? Thoughts, fantasies, certain websites. What's beholding you? And maybe you don't realize how much of a hold it really has. My prayer is that you would say, Jesus, I behold you. You're holding this whole world together. You're holding me together. And I can't hold this together anymore. I'm surrendering this to you. Some of you, you're not coming to Jesus going, hey, I want you to cleanse me for the very first time. Some of you are, are, need to have a moment where you come back and you say, Jesus, cleanse me again. Cleanse me again. I went and played in the mud. I went and played in the sin. I need it again. I need to be cleansed. He says, I will cleanse you by the washing of my word. Come to his word. Let him wash you. Let him cleanse you. I pray that's what's happened today. As we come into a place of communion, there is no greater moment for us as a church to look up, to lift up uh, this this broken body and this poured out blood to say, this is what I'm gonna behold. I'm gonna behold the mercy that was on full display for me on the cross and trust in what it does for my life. Again, if you wanna make a decision for Christ, you wanna receive baptism, you wanna put faith in him, fill out that next step card. And when you're done, you can go put it back there in the back or bring it up here. I'll talk with you after that. As we come into communion, let's let our hearts focus on him. Jesus, Thank you for your grace. It is because of that grace and that grace alone that we can be here with you today. Fill us up, Jesus. If it is true that we become what we behold, Jesus, let us focus singularly on you and you alone. In your name, amen.